I just feel this, this pulling back to the simple place of just knowing and being known by God. And that's what we want to look at today. Today I want to look at uh, the life of David, and I want to see, and I want us to see together how he modeled this idea of living with one passion and nothing else. And, um, and you know, I like to look at people in the Bible who made uh, a great impact, and, and not just to see their victories. You know, I, I remember studying the life of Joshua, because Joshua was the one, remember, who actually brought the, the children of Israel into the promised land. Like, Moses got it started, Joshua took it over, and And while we celebrate and we look at Joshua and say what a leader he was, I like to look at leaders and I like to see what they were doing before they were the leader. I like to go back and see what did what did they model in their life? What are some things that we can learn from their life? Come on, like the you know, we we look at Ruth or we look at uh, Paul, we look at some other people in Scripture. And I like I want to see like what they were doing when the limelight was not on them. And I, I want us to look at David in this way today. So turn with me to Psalms 27. Psalms 27. We're going to read the first eight verses today. It says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold or the refuge of my life. Whom shall I be afraid When evil doers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Look at verse 4. One thing, say that with me, one thing have I asked of the Lord. He could have asked for many things. He said, this one thing that I've asked of the Lord, and this will I seek after, that I may Dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble and he will conceal me under the cover of his tent and lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up and above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud and be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, this is what God is saying to us, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Let's pray. Father, we just ask right now in these next few moments, that you, would, that you would push through the noise, push through the things that have been weighing us down this week and, and settle a confidence in our spirit and who you are and stir a holy passion, a holy hunger to go after you and to pursue you even more, to, to know you more, God, and to be known by you. So stir our hearts today. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, I just want us to, to look today 
at, at what might this look like if you and I begin to model what we see David model. We're going to look at the life of David in just a moment, but, but I want to I kind of peel back Psalm 27, and I, I just want to look at a few things that, that you and I could expect if we, if we commit to pursue God every day, more than just Sunday, and really make the aim of our life to know God more, nothing else. What could you and I expect? Well, let's go back to the text just for a minute. In Psalm 27 and verse 1, it says this, The Lord is my light. Now, I read that this week, and I paused, and the Lord said, don't keep going. I want you to stop right there. And what I want to say is that this whole chapter, actually, it revolves around verses 4 and 5, this one thing that I'm asking of God, to to be in his presence, to gaze at his beauty. All of the the rest of, of the verses are centering around those verses. And so he says this, the Lord is my light. And I like that. And I just paused this week, and I'm like, okay, Lord, what, what is that? What are you saying to us? What do you, what do you want to say to Generation Church this weekend? And this is what I, I feel like some of you need to, to realize, is that when we pursue God, the Lord brings light to our life. And, and we got to understand what that means. You see, light does not create. It reveals Light does not create, it simply reveals what's already there. And this is what I began to feel from the Lord. There are things in your life that are already yours. You just need spiritual eyes to see them. You you, you see, you're asking the Lord, let me say it this way. You've been asking the Lord to create something when you need to be asking him to reveal something. Because there are things in your and my life that God has already given to us. We just can't see them. And so so we can't truly operate in, in them because it's not revealed to us. And we're begging God to do this and do that and do this and do that. And God's saying, I wish you'd just beg me to have eyes to see what's already there. And allow the light of Jesus to shine in your life and reveal the truth that was there the whole time. Some of us find ourselves stumbling around through life, tripping over things. Anybody ever been camping? Ever been camping and, 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 the, and you're, flat, you're trying to go do something through the woods and your flashlight goes out and, and your eyes haven't quite adjusted yet and you're just tripping all over the place? Some of us live our lives that way. And really what David is saying is that I have found this secret that when I pursue this one thing, when I'm really found in the presence of the Lord, there is a, an illumination to my life that allows me to see accurately. Ephesians 1.18 says it this way, having, having the eyes of your... This is Paul praying for the church. He's not saying, God, I wish you would do this, and I wish you would do that for them, and I wish you would bring them victory, and I wish you would do this and and create this for the church. This is not Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer was having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you would know the hope which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. How many of you know you and I could use some some heaven illumination in our circumstances? 
what happens when when light is revealed truth is revealed I, I if you've got kids then you know very well um about night lights they are um almost like you cannot do without them and i I'll, I'll be honest with you because my boys are not in here right now but 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 caleb and avery to this day and actually all of my kids for that matter will not go to sleep unless there is unless there is light shining into their room so we literally just leave the bathroom light on and it just it just shines into the room why do they why do we need that like like what is it about light well, I've had many nights where I'll be, you know, laying down with the, the boys before at bedtime and it's, it's time to go to sleep and, and you know, the, the light is very dim and you'll be looking into the closet and all of a sudden you're looking into a closet and, and, and a belt can kind of take the shape of a snake. And the hat in the corner kind of takes the shape of a monster's head. And then all of a sudden, fear rises up. Come on. Fear rises up. And we begin to see dimly, which causes a response of fear. What does light do? Light doesn't, doesn't create something. It reveals something. So light comes in and allows my kids to see, that's just a bell. I don't have to be scared right now. Other people can be scared, but I can, I can easily see that's just a belt. You with me? So I'm here to tell somebody today that some of you are stressing and you are worried and you have anxiety over a false reality in your life. Over a false reality, over something because, because through the intimacy and the fellowship of Christ, because of what he did for us on the cross, it illuminates things and we're able to see clearly and then make right action. Make right action based on light. David said, the Lord is my light. I have found that, that if I would just seek after this one thing, there is an illumination and I can make right decisions. Why? Because, because, because you know, we need to understand that, that knowledge dictates action which, which creates reality. In other words, what you believe about that belt will cause you to act based on what you believe on that belt, which will then create a reality of what you believe about that belt. Does that make sense? And I just felt led, before we move on, to tell somebody, we need the light of Christ in our life because you are stressing over a false reality. And if you will join with David and say, one thing have I asked of the Lord. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, to be in his presence, to gaze at his beauty. And then all of a sudden, this light from heaven begins to shine in my life. And then that job that I was stressed about, that job I was so worried about, what's going to happen next? I, I don't know what I'm going to do. All of a sudden, light is shining. I can see it clearly. And I said, I don't have to stress about this anymore. You, you with me? Are you walking in the light of Christ today? my question for you it's available to you not only do we see that the Lord brings light but look in verse 5 he says he says this I love it he says for he will hide me in the shelter uh, in his shelter in the day of trouble he will conceal me under the cover of his tent he will lift me high upon a rock 
Look at this. He will lift me high upon a rock. What do you gain when you have, when you have the ability to see from, from, from a higher vantage point? You have perspective. And he says this, now that I've lifted up, he says, now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. Not only does the Lord bring light, but he brings perspective to our life. He brings perspective to our life. You can see from the right vantage point. I remember I shared this a couple of years ago because it was pretty traumatic for my, for my family. But, but, but Caleb, who's not in here, I can just pick on him today. But, but he, he, he was terrified of the dentist. Like, you know, and first of all, I had to drive 45 minutes to the dentist. So we make this trip and we made a day of this. Like, we're going all the way to the dentist. And, and, and a long story short, we left the dentist and nothing was done. Let me tell you why. Because Caleb had, had first of all, they had to put this, this mask on him to calm him down, because as soon as he saw the dentist, he's freaking out, completely freaking out. I mean, just, just, just shaking, and it, it, Joy's not there with it. It's just me, and I'm nervous. I'm, I don't know what to do right now, and I'm, I'm trying to calm him down, and, and he's just, just shaking and screaming, and they're like, well, let's just try to put, put some calming gas in him. But when the, when the dentist came over him with this mask full of, full of smoke coming out of it, and he began to come down over Caleb, I'm talking about he just lost it and is flopping like a fish. And we just looked at each other, and I looked at the dentist, and I said, I got nothing for you. <laughs> I've tried everything I can try right now. This is not working. What does perspective give us? Caleb's perspective was that this mean man in a green coat was coming at him with a mask to kill him. Come on, this is what was going on in the mind of my five-year-old. This guy right here, here who I don't know, who's coming over me with this weird gas, he is, he, he is trying to kill me. That was his perspective. But what was truth's perspective? Truth's perspective was, this is a very nice man who's trying to do something very good so that I can get some work done on my teeth and make my life a whole lot better and take pain away from me. That was truth's perspective. But do you see how a false perspective created a false reality? You got to go with me today. Because what I'm trying to tell you is that many people, many Christians that I talk to day in and day out, they are living in the fear of a, of a crazy man coming at them with smoke coming out, when in reality, in reality, it's a doctor coming to make things better. But we need to be able to see from heaven's perspective. What, is, what does David say? That, that my feet are lifted high up on a rock so I can see my enemies clearly now. Now I can see the reality of what I'm facing from the right vantage point, which causes the right response. And the right response is in the very next verse. Because he says in verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies all around me. Because of a right perspective, what happens? And now I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and making melody to the Lord. You with me today? What's the, the natural response of having the illumination of heaven and heaven's perspective for your struggle and what you're going through right now? The natural response is praise. Oh, God, you are so good. Oh, I see those people chirping at me. Oh, I see my boss and my coworkers chirping from down there. 
Oh, bless them, Lord. They just don't know. Oh, Lord, just, just be with them, right? Just bless them, Lord. You see, you have a right vantage point. Instead of looking from down and they're chirping from here and you feel the weight of life about to crush you and it causes fear and it causes anxiety, you just need the right vantage point. Which comes through intimacy with God. You can't buy it. There's no five steps. It's drawing near to the throne of grace. And stirring your heart and your affections towards God. I want to look just for a moment at David's life. We know David. We've we've heard stories of David. Probably the most famous story of David is what? David and, and Goliath. Anybody ever heard a message on David and Goliath? Come on, it's like a preacher's dream because it's so easy. Like, I could fire you up right now in six minutes preaching on David and Goliath. Come on, it's just, wow, it's just an amazing story. And and that's great. Like, I love to see that. But I I love to see context. And I I told you this, I just like, what else was David up to other than, like, killing giants? He did all these things. And the Bible says he was a man after God's heart. I mean, that means he, he was doing something right. He had a good track record, right? God chose him to be king. Man, I can't be like, that was David. I mean, you're talking about all these things that, that David modeled, but I can't do that. I mean, I'm not David. Well, if you remember when Samuel came to Jesse's house to choose the next king, to anoint the next king, his sons were lined up, and all the qualified ones were there. And what happened? What did Samuel say? Nope, not here. What else you got? Well, I got the one who wasn't even invited to the party. Yeah, he's right over there tending the sheep. You don't want him. What does Jesse say? What does Samuel say? Bring him here. I'm here. I, I, and again, I, this, this week, man, I would be kind of studying this, and the Lord would just say, I want you to pause, and I want you to address, because there's someone in here. You need to know this because your life has been defined by your failures and your inadequacies. Because, see, we can keep looking in the life of David and see that that he was a murderer, committed adultery, disqualified, the youngest, the least likely to be chosen. And it's the very one that God chose to do his work. I'm here to tell you today in January 2019 that God is choosing the underdog. All through scripture, but years ago, I did a whole series on the underdog because we think I'm not good enough. And God says, that's what qualifies you. We see I, I, I've, I've failed. I've messed up and, and I can't do this or I'm the least. Or we look at Gideon and Gideon was was in the weakest clan and he was hiding out, beating wheat in a wine press, fearing the Philistines. Like worst team, worst guy on the team. God comes to him and says, oh, mighty man of valor. Like, what? Oh, mighty man of valor, you got the wrong guy. I'm actually hiding right now because, yeah, I'm scared. Yeah, we got a losing record. Like, nine battles, zero wins. Not making the all-star team this year. You might want to go find someone else. And God says, no, no, no. God begins to speak to his kingdom potential. And God begins to look at all of his inadequacies and says, oh, I can use this one. 
Because if I pour my spirit out in this one and I begin to raise them up, I know who's going to get the glory. I can use his weakness. I can use him. And this is what God is saying to us today. That, 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 that God is after the underdog. Moses was a stuttering murderer. But listen, these people didn't allow their failure to cripple their potential. They gave it over to God. And then God shows off, doesn't he? Doesn't God have a way of showing off in a good way? We have a way. Come on, hear me today. This is more than just a message and a sermon. I feel like God wants to say something to someone today. The very thing that's been crippling your life, the very temptation that you keep failing in, the very weakness that you feel is disqualifying you. God is saying today, give it to me. I want to use it. Give it over to me. Can you trust me with your weaknesses? Because in your weakness, you're strong. And we try to conceal our weakness and boast in our strengths. And God flipped the script says, I'm looking for the weak. I'm looking for the one that wasn't invited to the party, the one who's out in the field right now. That's who I'm looking for. Come on, church. I love this. It says David was a man after God's own heart. David, David was a man. Oh, I love this word. It just highlighted to me this week. He was a man after God's heart. What does that say to us? Oh, hear this. David was defined by his pursuit, not his failure. Come on. David was not, when we hear, when we hear in, 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 in all throughout scripture, David being referenced, the tabernacle of David, Davidic worship, uh, uh, and, and all that David represents, we don't hear anything about the murder. We don't hear much at all about the adultery or the times when he failed or the times when he's just weeping and scared and weak. But we do hear about his pursuit, his willingness to say, my failures don't define me. My pursuit defines me, and I'm going to go after this one thing. Am I going to fail and mess up? Yes, but I'm getting back up, and I'm setting my sights on God. This is what we need to model. You with me? Did we see David's life? And I want to look just for a few minutes on David's worship. We can't talk about David today without talking about David the worshiper. David the worshiper. Some of you may not know this, but, well, you, you do know that he wrote most of the Psalms. But, but what you may not know is he actually established worship the way we know it today. You see, before David, worship consisted of prayers and sacrifices and, and duties. David comes along and actually, and actually as he begins to rescue the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back home, what he does is he actually puts, he puts worshipers to lead the way. And he actually begins to assign them to sing and make melody to God, which was not normal at this time. And then he actually established something, the tabernacle of David, which, which for uh, many years there was night and day, 24 hours a day, people that, that, that were assigned to sing and worship and glorify God with instruments. David was the guy who, I think a little bit ahead of his time, 
was connect, it was almost as if he was full of the Holy Spirit. He, he just had this gaze on God. When everyone around him, it was about, it was about what we do. And, and David was found just sitting in the presence of the Lord, singing and making melody to him. Talk about mosaic worship, which was all about what we do. But I want to talk about Davidic worship just for a few minutes. I really, I really felt like I was supposed to, to talk uh, today a little bit about what is, what is Davidic worship. When we talk about the life of David and how he, how he modeled worship, I want you to follow me for a few minutes. And I really felt like this was for some worship leaders and maybe some worship leaders who are going to watch this. And very, very much so, uh, uh, our worship team and our, our people who are up here on a, on a weekend and week out basis, aren't you thankful for our worship team, by the way? Come on, I know I'm partial, but we've got a pretty amazing team, and, and they, their heart's desire is just to worship God and not perform for you. How many of you know that's a good thing? What was, what was I got three things about Davidic worship that I want to talk to you about, uh, and, and the first is this. Davidic worship was prophetic. Davidic worship was prophetic, and I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles 25. 1 Chronicles 25. If you don't want to turn there, we're going to put it up on the screen. And I want to show you this, and, I, and I'm going to talk, and I'm going to ask the question, what is prophetic worship? You've heard that phrase, maybe, maybe not. We want to talk about that today. What does that even mean? It kind of sounds weird. But we need to find out what it is. What, what does it mean? First Chronicles 25 and verse 1, David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service the sons of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun who, who prophesied with lyres, harps, and symbols. What? Prophesied with symbols? Wait, wait, wait. You, you trying to tell me that you can prophesy on the symbols? Well, we got to talk about that, church. We can't just skip over that one. Look in verse 6. They were all under the direction of their father in the music in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, lyres for the service of the house of God. Look at verse 7. The number of them, along with their brothers, who were trained in singing to the Lord, all who were skillful, were 288. 288 on their worship team. All who were, that's a big worship team. Come on, 288. It says all who were skillful. Will you just give me two minutes to talk about this and talk to some pastors who might be listening? And it's going to, I got to say this right. Man, I've been in some churches where, where the worship team comes in two minutes before service starts and service starts and somebody's back there tuning their bass and, 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 and everybody's like, what's going on? These two? And then they start in the wrong key, haven't gone over anything, don't know what they're doing, but we're making melody to the Lord. Is it? <laughs> Can I talk to some worshipers and say that, that, that that's great? That your heart wants to make melody to the Lord, but, but you, need to, you need to sharpen your skill for the Lord. How dare, come on, oh, hear me, Lord, let me say this right. How dare any of these people on this platform not even take two minutes to sharpen themselves, to prepare for the service of the Lord that we do day in. Listen, on Sundays, they, they, they need to be ready. They need to be skillful. I'm not saying perfect. Is that Okay. Pastors, encourage your worship teams to show up on time, 
to make melody to the Lord that is skillful. Amen? Amen. I'm going to just drop that right there and move right on. There is a, there is a worship that is prophetic. What, is, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, um, prophetic doesn't mean spontaneous. It, it, it's not about set list, and it doesn't mean long-winded. Can we go there? There is a, there is a movement that I love right now that, that if you go off the set list, that automatically qualifies you as singing prophetically, and that could not be farther from the truth. You with me? There is a movement that says if we don't go off the set list and if we don't go for an hour and a half, it's not prophetic. And I'm just here to tell you that prophetic worship has nothing to do with how long or how spontaneous you think you're being. Prophetic worship is saying or singing the right thing at the right time. What do I mean by that? I mean this, that, that, these, that these worship leaders, there are moments when they are so in tune to Jesus that, that they are, there is this connection and they begin to say, sometimes it could be a phrase, sometimes it's a melody. I've been in worship services where, where, where an instrumental part would come and you can feel the ministry of the Lord over it. And for 10 minutes, they, they just prophesy on their instruments and people are weeping and people are on their face crying out before the Lord. I've been, t- I've been in, in set- times where the set list is too fast and too slow. Who cares what it is? But, but the point is, God can use a set list, and there are moments because of the connection with God that a worship leader can begin to declare what a beautiful name it is. But I just heard that on the way to church, and I didn't really get touched. But all of a sudden, this prophetic unction comes over the same song, and all of a sudden, God brings heaven through it that was on the set list, and people begin to be ministered to. It's the right thing at the right time. I don't want to overcomplicate the prophetic. Listen, there are times when when someone will come up here and and, and actually read a verse over you. Very prophetic. Could be very prophetic. Or it could not be. Does that make sense? Have you ever had somebody... Maybe, maybe just stand up and say a couple of words and read a scripture, and all of a sudden, the hand of God is on you. And you knew that although God used that person up there, it's as if God himself is speaking directly to me, directly into my situation in this very moment. And right now, that's the right word at the right time. It's prophetic worship. Not only was Davidic worship prophetic, but it was also priestly. I'm going to run through these. What is priestly? Priestly. David was a priest. He, or, or, you know, David knew, understood the fact that, that, that there was a ministry to draw people to God. So, so the priest, the, what their job was is to connect the people to God. And, and so why do I say that? Is because this, and I'm going to talk to the worshipers, the singers, the musicians, worship leaders who may be watching. God is more concerned with your anointing than your gift. This is not about how gifted you are. And you stand up and, and before practice and you're like, oh, I just can't wait because I got that solo today. Oh, I can't wait for people to see me. 
I can't wait for this to be all about me. That's not Priestly. What Priestly says is I can't wait to be used by God to draw people to God. To draw people to God. And what happens is it's, it's much more about your anointing than it is your gift. How many of you have been in a service before and the worship team is skillful and the voices are amazing? But you feel like it stops right there. How many of you have been in a worship service where the singer was aight? But there was something from heaven that was being released into that place. And no longer was it about the voice. It's about heaven coming and connecting with Jesus in this moment. This is Davidic worship. This is priestly worship. I got to tell you something real quick as I hurry through these, that there's times when we gather together, this worship team gathered this morning, they were here at 7 a.m. to serve you today. And when you leave, there's another service coming in. They're staying. They're going to do it again. But you know, there's times when we come together and we practice these songs and it's terrible. And the sound's not working. The lights are not working. We can't get the acoustic on. The, 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 the music, I mean, just the, the vocal, we can't get the right mix in the ear. And everybody's stressed out. And we're like, this is just going to be the worst day today. You know how many times that's happened? And how many times we've come back together and encouraged one another and said, you know what? Ultimately, this is not about us, that we have called to be priests today. And what we're going to do is we're going to let out a prophetic sound and we're going to connect the people to God. And all of a sudden, their focus leaves the, the problems and it gets on what they're asking God to do. And I'm telling you, it is so funny. When we have a bad you ask our worship team, when the practice is bad, we're celebrating. Because God shows up. It was prophetic, it was priestly, and it was kingly. David was a king, and I'm just here to tell you that Davidic worship means you know who you are. You know your position, you know your authority. You're not just making noise into the air. The Old Testament is filled with army-defeating worship. Come on, worship brings heaven's reality to earth. Worship brings heaven's reality to your earthly situation. There is an authority on worship. You don't believe me? Look in Acts when you see Paul and Silas chained to a wall. And at midnight, they began to sing and make melody in their heart. And what happened? Chains began to be unleashed. Listen, they were set free. God showed up. Heaven's reality came to their situation. There, there is an authority in worship that we know our God and we know who we are and we declare things out. This is what God wants for this house. Not to just sing songs that we like and just, just, just to get through that part of the service, but to know that a sound can be released. Come on, there's been time. I've said this to some of these musicians before and these singers. I say, I just want you to prophesy today on those pads, Kelly. I want you to prophesy on that acoustic guitar. You're more than just strumming strings. You're making melody. You're connecting heaven to earth, and you release that over a region. You awake today. It's prophetic, priestly, kingly. This is David. This is David, which leads to his pursuit. 
we go back to our text in, in Psalm 27, and we see that all of this together led David to this place, this one pursuit, that he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing have I asked. David the king could have asked the Lord to increase his kingdom. David the king could have asked the Lord to increase his riches. David the warrior, David was a warrior. David the warrior could have asked the Lord for more victory in battle. David was running for his life from Saul. David could have said, this one thing I desire, Lord, protect me from Saul. Protect me from the Philistines. But what we see is this this pursuit, this this one desire in David that led him to worship and, and sing and make melody to God, to be found in the Lord's presence. He says, this one thing I'm after. Oh, I know I'm a king. I know I'm this. I know I'm a husband. I know I'm a father. I know I'm this. And and I, and I work for this company, and I know I have this, and, and, and I know this area of my life, and, and I've got this part that I really like, and I'm known over here for this, and I've got all these elements that make up who you and I are. God comes to us today and says, what's the one thing that you desire? What's the one thing that you and I are after? in a room like this, what could God do with a few people who say, I just want to know you, God. I just want to know you. I know that through that place of intimacy, all things, the light will come. The light is turned on. Perspective, favor, all of these things. You as my refuge, You are enough. God is saying to pursue this one thing and nothing else, nothing else. Put it back on the screen. Nothing else this year. Nothing else for your family. Nothing else. Come on, just let this sink into your spirit this morning. I don't know what you're going to do today. I don't know what your plans are. I don't know how your morning was. I I just want for just for this moment to let this sink in. God is saying that I'm enough for you. Our presence will satisfy you, and there's something amazing that happens, that we are instantaneously satisfied and yet longing for more all at the same time. Those who hunger and thirst for God will be filled and hungry and filled and hungry and filled. We simplify the vision this year. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Psalm 63 says this. We close with this verse. Psalm 63, 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I, I will lift up my hands. Do you, hear the, do you hear the surrender? Do you hear the pursuit in David? 
This is David riding in a place of wilderness. This is when David was in the wilderness. He was in a place of struggle. He was in a place of pressing. And yet he could look past all of the stuff and say, God, oh my God, earnestly do I seek you. My soul thirsts after you, God. I need to know you today. I need to be known by you today. If I could be known for one thing, it would be the person who's seeking the face of God. And knowing that all the things we need flow from this place. Simplicity. Closing question today. What is your one pursuit? Has it been that promotion? Has it been that relational tension? Has it, be, has it been, oh, if I could just get out of this mess. Oh, if you could just give me that. If I could just have that. Lord, that's my one desire. And today I want to shift the perspective. Let's pursue the presence of God. You're going to have light you're going to have perspective. You're going to learn intimacy and worship spontaneously, just praising the Lord. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for who you are.